0: spirits love to be remembered
1: yeah
0: you know and the best ways to remember that remember them is to talk about them you know it's like i tell people like you know tell your kids about your grandmother while you're making her chocolate chip cookie recipe mm-hmm. you know they're giving this combination of not only is this who my grandmother was but this recipe was her recipe which means this is what her cookies tasted like you know like you're getting mm-hmm. these and at the same time, the spirit is getting honored by that because they're being remembered, they're being included, and you can bet money on it that they're there.
2: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living Earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather. And in this episode, I am joined by author and psychic medium, Sally Crow, to discuss her book, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. Along with her experiences of spirit communication, Sally Crow discusses the various ways spirits communicate with the living, the importance of sacred storytelling and honoring the ancestors, the fear of death and spiritual starvation, and how and why we should practice for death. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Sally Crow is a natural psychic medium who weaves the traditions of her Irish traveler and Blackfoot heritage with modern magical techniques. For more than 30 years, she has worked as a spirit channel, seer, and intuitive healer, offering readings and teaching workshops throughout the United States and internationally. She is the author of The Path of Elemental Witchcraft and joins me today to discuss her latest publication, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. Sally Crow, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Well, thank you. You know, I was reflecting before speaking with you that death is, you know, death is something that we all experience that obviously is not anything new, yet we don't like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think though, it's incredibly important to do so. And I often think as well that the fear of death keeps us from living. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: I love to talk about death.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, good. So how did you get interested in this? I've got the first big question you know i want to know how you got interested in this you know but maybe just in general discuss a bit of your background you know Mm -hmm. how did you first become aware that you are a medium you know how did you learn to utilize your gift
0: sure well i was born into a family where my great grandmother was my first teacher so she was you know the local i guess medicine woman you know everybody just called her gram but people came to see her for her to do readings for them and to talk to their dead, and sometimes for medicine, herbal medicines. And she, when you're psychic, you can see what other people are. And she was aware. She taught both me and one of my sisters, and we were taught a little differently. My sister's very connected to the plant world, works as an herbalist. and. My grandmother started teaching through games when I was about three or four years old, so like she could recognize that if I was looking at something and interacting with it, she could see what I was looking at. So there was that benefit. And mostly I was taught through games and things were made really common in the sense that like, she might say to me, spirits talk to you, Sally, it's okay. And so it wasn't made a big deal. So it was easier to just think of it as normal. So that's where my actual start came. And I started doing divination for the public when I was 18. And then I I have my Reiki masters in six schools of Reiki and I do vocal toning. I was, you know, I've actively pursued the metaphysical world my entire life. And, you know, it's at one point, my husband told me that I had to stop calling it work or I was going to be a workaholic. And so I changed it to call it my life path because I do this work for work, but I also do this kind of thing because I enjoy it, because I'm driven to it. It's my hobby. I go places to do spiritual things. And then when I was 30, I had a major opening to spirit. And my first book, which is actually called Jump Girl, The Initiation and Art of a Spirit Speaker, was a memoir. And I ended up doing that memoir because I was introduced to the publisher and I had been blogging for a while, but I, I did a reading for him, a spirit reading for him. And I had a book contract like in about a month and a half. And so I wrote about that, my experience of opening, where I was actually actively being taught by spirits, by a team of spirits, and that it was something that was my design was something they constantly reminded me and I knew that it was true. So even if I was kind of like being tested because the reason my book was called jump girl was because I'm a stand on the cliff and count to three and jump kind of person. Like I'm going to jump into the deep end and trust that I can find my way back or that I've got a good team. And so I had a major, you know, I was taught a lot of, a lot of lessons. It was pretty intense and I started, adding spirit communication to my repertoire about the time I was 30. So I've been doing spirit communication for about 22 years for the public. So I've been doing it for a while.
2: Okay. Wonderful. So you mentioned that you were doing divination and Mm -hmm. now you're, I would imagine that you're connecting with spirit for that. Are there other forms of divination? No,
0: no, I actually don't. That's the interesting thing. I, for me like some people do some people divination is that they're connecting to a spirit that's telling them things okay for me i go looking for information okay like so i don't combine my readings together like if okay. somebody has a spirit communication session with me and a you know divinatory reading i'm going to do one and then the other Okay because I look at it like I'm looking down two different hallways. Okay. And one of the things that was interesting, though, is that when I had my major opening to spirit, one of my guides, whose name is Peter is also psychic. And I realized when I had that opening, how often Peter had communicated with me, because there'd be times when I was doing a reading when I was younger, where something wouldn't make sense to me. And I'd be looking at and looking at and all of a sudden, I'd be like, Oh, oh, now I know what that means. And then what I realized afterwards was that that was Peter going, look at it like this, Sally,
1: Mm. look
0: at it like this. And so I was registering or responding to spirit, even when I wasn't aware that I was responding to spirit, you know? So I think a lot of people do that. Mm. Like we often people will say things like they, you know, I'm starting to think more like my father. Mm. And really what it is, is their father's been talking to them and it's like no your dad is talking to you those thoughts aren't yours that's your dad talking to you but most of us don't have the ability to to get the clarification because it does take a leap of faith you know like mm-hmm. when i first started doing spirit communication for clients it was like i remember i had this dead grandfather who was coming through and he'd given plenty of information that proved who he was but he kept showing me a giant rooster And i was like oh my god what am i gonna do am i gonna tell these people that i'm seeing a giant rooster you know that's so obscure and but i did and they started laughing it turned out that he had a giant rooster statue in his yard and so that leap of faith ended up being i always do that now i'm looking for those pieces that are so obscure but most people might have given the other information and never said giant rooster because they think it was too obscure and that. So they never actually get the real confirmation for themselves. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's a lot of doubt. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I had a very interesting experience. I went through a just a very first part shamanic training. And during that, we were paired up with someone and we were supposed to try to find an answer for a question that they had. And I had not had any success that entire weekend in getting into the sort of the trance state, except for this one time. And there was just like random imagery, but at the very end, it was the only way I can explain it is it was like waking up into a dream. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I saw, I was in this field and I saw this horse hoof come down and I looked up and I saw these wild horses running by. And then the drumming change, you know, the callback. And when I went to connect with my partner there as a woman, I never had met before knew nothing about her. And I started telling her about all of the pre image stuff. And I could tell yeah. that she was like, yeah, that's not doing it. But then as soon as I told her that sort of vision, she's like, you just answered my question. Um, mm-hmm. And apparently she had been training or she had Worked with, I think, it was rehabilitating horses back into the wild. That's and she had cool, been thinking yeah. about leaving. And then I'm like, no, this is what I saw. And she's like, that was my answer. So, yeah. yeah so I, I just had to yeah. share because I, I understand
0: no, that. Yeah. Yeah. And those are really profound moments. And, you know, I think that, you know, you mentioned that people are afraid of death. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, having, I think about this a lot because having not only been born with abilities, But having other people in my family have it so that it never felt strange, you know, Mm. I haven't had to rely on faith a lot. Mm. Because if you have experience, then you're not, it's a different thing. It's still, you have to believe in your experience, but it's not faith. You know, a lot of people are more closed down either, you know, because I believe that in psychic development, there's two, there's two different things. There's ability and there's skill and ability is what somebody's born with. Mm. And the people who have a natural ability or the people who have these random experiences through their life that just happened, you know, that they mm. experienced a spirit or they had a precognitive moment, they have no training and skill is something that we all can develop. So I mm. look at ability as something that we've developed in previous lifetimes. So like I've developed psychic abilities in previous lifetimes this time, it was easier for me because I could carry that information forward, but. If I never did anything with it, a person who had no ability might still have more skill in the end than me, because Mm. the skill is that dedication that you put into anything, you know, like everybody Mm. can do art, but a true artist has to kind of have both the ability and the dedication.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there seems to be, you know, a lot of learning that has to practice, you know, I guess practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that one of the benefits I had was that my grandmother first taught me in game form. So mm. I very much in that kind of teacher, i make learning fun. I want people to have the experience as something, even when I talk about death is like that this can be something beautiful. This can be something that is, you know, enjoyable and that it doesn't have to be a, a task because you know, I certainly don't want to work that much. I want my life to have joy and death included in that, you know, Mm -hmm. like death can be one of the most beautiful things that we ever experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Can you, if you feel comfortable, can you give an example of one of the games that your great grandmother would use to teach you?
0: Well, she used some pretty simple ones. You know, some of them were simple, like card games were big you know like i used to think that she was cheating and letting me win but really it was developing not only my memory but my precognitive ability because like i was really good at rummy and like i still am now if i'm really playing because i could see what was coming ahead you know so some of it was just simple cards that she'd use but she always would you know like we used mirrors a lot and my sister and i have communicated with ourselves through mirrors since we were kids and what i mean by that is like i've been communicating when i was a little girl i was communicating with a me that's you know between, different me's between the ages of probably 36 and up okay and so i've done this my whole life now i don't have to use mirrors i can just do it. But as a kid, that was kind of, we would use mirrors to look at spirits, Mm. you know? And if my grandmother would see us looking in the mirror, like we, I'm a person now, I have a lot of mirrors in my house and it's not, you know, a vanity thing as much as it's like mirrors are doorways that I've Mm. always used. And, and then, but then once you learn how to do something, then it gets easier. It's like riding a bike. You know, mm. you have to fe- concentrate on everything. When you're first learning to ride a bike, you're pedaling your balance, your steering. And then after a while you just get on the bike and you go. And so it's the same thing after a while, you, you know, I didn't need to use the mirrors anymore. And mm. interestingly enough, I learned how to do this when I was 36 years old. Mm. So I had a moment I'm a Druid and I was in my Druid training. It was at the end of my Druid training. Um, my teacher wanted to do this exercise that was that we were going to and he was like well we don't have to do it here you guys can take it as homework and go do it at home but when he said it, i was like no i need to know how to do this now i already know how to do this you know this is where i learned how to do it but what it was was we did a meditation where we went back as our adult self or our current self and talked to our past self and then we went as our current self and talked to our future self and then we went as our future self and talked to our child self and Mm -hmm. you know like we basically kept playing from all these directions and it was really crazy because i wrote about again this in my first book i wrote about that when i was a kid i saw myself in the hallway of my parents house i was Mm -hmm. in a bunk bed And I didn't know it was me. I knew it was a witch, which was interesting. I knew that it was a witch and I knew that she was looking at me. And it wasn't until I was older and I had the reverse of that experience that I knew that that person, I knew for sure that that person who I saw was me, Mm. you know? But it was so like, I learned something at 36 that I've been doing since I was like three or four years old, Mm, you know, because the older me came back to talk to the younger me.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah, I don't remember where I heard it or read it, but I remember someone saying something very similar that they were, I think that they were a kid and they were, I think in the kitchen making a peanut butter sandwich or something, and they felt something and they looked behind them and there was someone standing there in a, like a gray sweatshirt. And then later, yeah, later when they were teenagers, they had the the reverse experience where uh, they were walking through and then they saw this kid in the, in the kitchen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, It was actually, I used it a lot when I wrote my, my memoir because people were like, wow, you must've kept great notes. And I was like, no, I just like relaxed Mm -hmm. and went back and slipped back into Mm -hmm. myself. Like it's almost like being in that case, it's more like being the passenger, you know, Mm -hmm. like I was just there, uh, you know, going through that same moment again, but in a different way. I mean, we do it. Some people do it through guided meditation. Hypnosis is like that. You know, it's just that this was something that was really developed just out of play. And so my grandmother was half Irish traveler and half Blackfoot. So her mother was Blackfoot from the reservation and her father had come across from Ireland into Canada. And then they met and ended up in Vermont. And so she both of them had gifts. And, you know, one of the things because I am, like I said, a Druid as well is that I have found that Celtic, you know, shamanism, whether it's witchcraft or Druidry, is very similar to a lot of Native American practices. There's different, you know, rituals, but there is very similar honoring that goes on honoring the ancestors, honoring the dead, um, whether they're your ancestors or just the ancestors of the land, honoring the spirits of nature, the earth itself, you know, that sentience of all beings. And so that's a big way that we were taught growing up, is that you know, we were taught that if we went into the woods that we announced ourselves and we made some kind of noise. And for two reasons. One, we were letting the animals know we were coming in case they wanted to get out of the way. But also it was an invitation to the fairy folk if they wanted to show themselves to us, you know. So we were taught that like the water of our, you know, body is sacred. So like if you need to give an offering, like saliva is a decent offering, or your hair on your head. You know, now as a person who I think of magic very scientifically, you know, like i like to think of it as the science of magic, you know, both of those things carry our DNA. Mm. So when you're giving those kind of offerings, you know, and you're not doing it, like I always tell people, you're not like hawking a loogie or, you know, doing mm. something disgusting. You're just like, this is a bit of my water. Or this is a bit of my hair. You're literally giving an offering of yourself, you mm. know, and that, that separation again, goes back to death you know, because like we've lost our way. But one of the benefits I had is that my family didn't lose their way because my father was raised by his grandmother. And I mean, they were talking poor people. Like, you know, my family is very poor. My dad went into the military at 17 and went to Vietnam as a way of sending money back. Like I found a letter when I was eight where he sent money back to his grandmother to buy a refrigerator, you know? So, but we were very matriarch family. And my grandmother had a lot of gifts and she also we always talked about our dad. So even the people who weren't psychic knew who everybody was. You knew who your great uncles were because you heard stories about them. Usually it was something mischievous. You know, it's like there were we were great storytellers. Everybody in my family is great storytellers. We say we're competitive talkers.
2: Yeah. Wonderful. And isn't story something that you discuss in the book as well? Mm -hmm. I think it's a sacred story.
0: Yep. Sacred storytelling is spirits love to be remembered. Yeah. You know, and the best ways to remember them is to talk about them. You know, it's like I tell people like, you know, tell your kids about your grandmother while you're making her chocolate chip cookie recipe. Mm -hmm. You know, they're giving this combination of not only is this who my grandmother was, but this recipe was her recipe, which means this is what her cookies tasted like, you know, like you're getting Mm -hmm. these. And at the same time, the spirit is getting honored by that because they're being remembered, they're being included, and you can bet money on it that they're there. Okay, Mm -hmm. because spirits can hear us and see us better than we can hear and see them. And there's no, they're not. You know, there's no time or space for them. They don't have to take, you know, like hours to get like, you know, from Vermont to California. You know, they it's that split second. And when we do acts of honoring, that calls them in, you know, that's a way for them. They're being remembered. I've worked in the same area, like I built my business word of mouth, including how I ended up with a book being published. So everything has just come that way. And but I've worked with whole families, and I one of the things that I always do is educate them about how they can have a living relationship with their dead. Because while they want to have receive messages through me, what they really want is to be able to have some kind of communion with their dead themselves. Mm. And they might not be able to; they might still want to go see the medium to get, you know, clear conversation or, you know, more factual reminders that they feel they can trust. But when we start including our dead in our a living relationship, whether it's through storytelling or whether it's through, you know, an ancestor altar in which we have pictures and memorabilia of our dead, we start calling them into our house regularly mm-hmm. and we start looking for them and we start noticing them. We start mm-hmm. feeling them and, you know, and, I have clients who have set aside things at weddings for, you know, like one of the best ones was a favored uncle who had been like the uncle had been on like the, like one of the mechanics for the nephew's race car. Thing. And it was like, you know, like one of those local race car things, but it was a family tradition and they were very close. So at his wedding, he had one of those cardboard cutouts like you would get from like Pepsi or something like in the supermarket. He had one made of his uncle in the racing gear and had it set up in his like you know, wedding hall. I know other people who brought a popcorn machine in because their grandfather loved popcorn. So they put the popcorn machine at the wedding in honoring him, or just even as simple as setting a, a plate at the table for your parent who couldn't be at your wedding, or it was some pictures of them, you know, this yeah. is, and the coolest thing is sometimes they get pictures caught, you know, orbs caught in pictures, you know, like, cause I've been on the opposite side of that, where telling a young woman that her mother was in her wedding picture and she's like, no, my mom was dead already. I'm like, I know, but she's telling me she was in a picture of you and your dad and your sister. And then there were orbs on the side of you. And the woman was able to show me the next time I saw her, the picture with the orbs in it, you know? Mm-hmm. So the mother was able to say, yeah, I was at your wedding, but it was You know, I'm not saying the only reason they'd show up at the wedding is because they're invited, but they're more likely to show up if they're being acknowledged and invited in, you know, you're making a space for them. And really, it's only been, you know, the last probably since the 50s that we really started disassociating from some of these customs.
1: Right.
2: right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about some of the rituals that you have in the book because I really liked them. But yeah, yeah. My family, we still leave presents under the Christmas tree. Yeah, oh, for, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Just one little thing, you know, yeah. uh, like my grandfather liked the chocolate covered cherries and yep. the candy canes and things like that, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Those yeah, are wonderful a, ways of remembering that. Yeah.
2: Well, it's nice because it, you know, it's inviting them into the holiday and remembering yeah. them in the holiday. You
0: know? And they have food memories, They really do. They talk about it a lot where they really like savor the memory of what it was like to eat that candy cane.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, our culture, as I sort of said at the beginning, we have a really odd relationship, I think, with death. We push it to the side. We don't want to think about it. And you just kind of mentioned the same thing that things kind of shifted from the 1950s. And I'm curious. What are some what what have we lost in terms of how we relate to the dying and the dead?
0: Well, I think that what happened was, in my this is my view anyways, is that we really tried to homogenize what it looked like to be Americans after World War II and television gave us a fantastic means of doing so, you know, all of a sudden it was, you know, leave it to beaver and the Cunninghams. And this was kind of what America was supposed to look like. Mm. And up until that point, you know, most people still identified with what kind of American they were, you know, like they knew their, that they knew that they at least knew where their ancestors came from. Okay. And most of our traditions about working with the dead have come from those ancestral traditions. So like where you know I have Irish descent, the traditions are more carried down by people, you know, like of Ireland, you know Like you bring you don't just go and say, well, I've moved to the United States and I'm Irish, but I'm going to start you know celebrating birth and death the way that the Germans do people didn't do that you know but they they all of a sudden had this television view and at the same time one of the things that was happening that I don't necessarily think is bad but I think is an interesting connection is that that also kind of began the breakdown of an assigned cultural religion Hmm. you know like most Americans were Christian not because they really were Christian, but because they were kind of assigned Christian at birth, you know, like if you were in any other religion, you know, it was assumed you were Christian because the holidays were Christian, the, you know, that's not, that's changing. And so we have a lot of spiritual starvation and spiritual starvation is of course, going to make people more afraid of death. It's gonna make them, you know, it was this big thing because it was also all of a sudden death started taking place in hospitals and, you know, wakes were being done at funeral parlors, you know, and, you know, I mean, it wasn't even until Lincoln was president, I think he was the first person to be embalmed. And they did it because they needed to move his body around to show people that he was dead. And they had to preserve it. But, you know, up until then, it's like people were really, still doing like wakes where they stayed with their dead, you know, and tended to that dead body. I went to Ireland while I was just there, but I was there in 2017 and I, my husband and I were hosted by a family. We ended up in Northern Ireland and one of the family members had ran a, a pub that had been in the family since the 1500s. So we went down and spent an evening at his pub and he was also an undertaker. And he said that, you know, he was one of the dying breed, but that it used to be the way that it was done was that the undertaker and the bartender were usually the same person. And that, you know, funerals and stuff took place at the pub because that's where people gathered, you know, and it was a celebration of that person. And there were, you know, there's something, I've tended to, to people's bodies when they've died and it's very powerful. You know, it gets, gives you a real finalization of the separation between life and, you know, spirit and body. And I've actually, I did, was doing CPR on somebody when they died and they were a person who had cancer and, you know, it wasn't really a surprise that they were dying, but they Did not have a do not resuscitate and so i was doing cpr on them and i can tell you the split second that the person spirit left the body Mm. you don't have to be psychic to experience that people have reactions to the spirit leaving the body Mm. you know but having that also gives you faith because you felt the spirit you saw that something existed or felt that something existed outside of that body. So that fear that you have of, you know, not existing, that's the biggest fear that I think people have. And that's why we don't want to look at death because we don't want to think about our own non-existence.
2: Mm. Right. Yeah. 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 I have. <laughs> yeah. And it always frustrates me personally with these ideas of, Immortality, because I don't think that people actually really stop to think about what that entails. So right. I always say that what scares me isn't death, but deathlessness.
0: Right. You know? Well, I think that some spirits choose to be in the void. Mm. You know, like it's not all spirits that come forward when you do spirit communication. Some spirits don't want to be as connected to the physical world as others. Mm. You know, some spirits, some spirits come through this in the same room every time you communicate with them, they Mm. hold they hold an image of something that meant something to them in life so clearly that it's a tangible place in the astral realm. You know like you go to visit them in their office where other spirits you know are really happy to disappear into the collective consciousness you know which is in many ways kind of like being in the dream state where maybe you float into consciousness every now and then and have an experience and then you are you know off off register for a lot of that time where your brain's, you know, or you're, you're just not thinking you're just not being or even anything. So it really depends on, you know, because I do believe to a certain extent, people are like, well, is it true that people create their own You know afterlife when they die and i think to a certain extent you know because yeah do you want to be the the soul that slips into the slipstream or do you want to be a guardian are you going to be a guardian spirit looking out after your living loved ones are you going you know do you have a bigger evolutionary role that you're playing as a spirit all of those things come into place
2: yeah yeah well i wanted to ask you because you wrote in the book when we die, we become all that we ever were. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, what do you mean by that?
0: It means that we become aware of, uh, we have the ability to become aware of all of our consciousness. Hmm. So I like to think of consciousness in terms of a video game. Okay. Okay. So if you've ever played video games, and particularly if you played a game where you can change your character, You know you might have four different characters that you're currently playing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and i used to play online games and i'm a role player so i remember that i'm so good at it that i had one person i played with who really loved hanging out with one of my characters and would complain to me about one of my other characters and how much they couldn't stand them (laughs) i'd be like i've never played with them before (laughs) but the point being is that most of the times if you think about those characters those characters aren't aware of each other in most cases they would have like no awareness of each other but the player is the higher consciousness Hmm. that has you know the ability to kind of like learn from all of these things and i don't know everything that i believe with that i mean my it can make your brain hurt when you start thinking about like all the different realities and i certainly didn't get a guide to the afterlife i just ask a lot of questions right You know, I am the medium who is asking the spirits about how things work behind the screen. You know, like I want to know what there is to know, trying to take away some of the fear I want to bring back, like, because it, in, you know, other cultures, religious leaders, whether they're shamans or, you know, priestesses or whatever would help people to understand the afterlife by normalizing it. Hmm. By bringing about like, these are the things that people experience and yes, you know, those very, but we've had a lot of dogmatic relate religions that have really preached fear more than, you know, than consciousness expansion.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. 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 And I think that may be one of the reasons that people fear death so much.
0: Yes. Yeah yeah for sure and that's why people fear for their dad and which is really kind of like i wrote about suicide and you know being partially responsible for your own passing and i wrote about it because we're living in a time where you know overdose and you know people being it like struggling with mental health is at epidemic proportions and, you know, I started seeing a huge uptick in families that were coming to me who were suffering because they believed that their loved one's soul was damned or that somehow was being punished. And, so it really has been a big part of my goal is to help people like kind of like heal from some of that damage that's been done out of you know something so archaic right you know and the reality of it is is that for somebody to get to that point they're already been in hell they are emotionally drowning and they when you're emotionally drowning, you can't always think straight. You know, like I talk about emotions on a volume dial, right? Like zero, mm-hmm. 00 to 10, like your stereo. And most people go through life at about a three or four people with anxiety and depression. That's really bad mental illness. It's like an eight or a nine, and then just try to imagine being able to think logically if all day, every day you were listening to music that loud. Mm. You know, and then to have that be the emotions, it's like so people make poor decisions, they make impulsive decisions, they make dangerous decisions, but it's because they're struggling. And when they pass, those emotions get turned down and they get some reprieve and they get to like, see how their life affects other people. So it's not like it's that you're let off the hook because you see how your death affected the people you care about.
2: Yeah. yeah. now it's not
0: a punishment.
2: Right. And does the mourning of those who are left behind, can that then also affect the Mm -hmm. spirit?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. People can get really, I have been working with a, I say that I'm a healer as a medium. I don't Mm -hmm. do like haunted houses and I work a lot with people long-term. And I've been working with a family whose son was a vet and had ptsd and accidentally overdosed and the family has been absolutely distraught and rightfully so and you know he has been very active like you know of trying like to help particularly his you know his family to get through this you know because The thing is, is like, you know, especially in the case of something like PTSD or traumatic brain injury, you know, when we die, we don't like, if you lost a leg in life, you don't have to be a spirit that has one leg. You might present yourself that way because people would recognize you, but you're not now a one legged person And it's the same thing with mental illness. If you have traumatic brain injury, your brain isn't or dementia, you don't stay in that mental state as a spirit. So, you know, he has clarity that he didn't have when he was in that place. And Mm -hmm. now with that clarity, he has to see like the remains of what's happened to his family. And so, yes, he's actively trying to heal them. And they, when they start healing themselves, it helps the spirit because that spirit is kind of stuck because they're so concerned for their family. So, you know, there is an importance in our own healing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was really, Wanting to get at in the question is whether or not spirits can stay stuck because the family member is stuck in in
0: their grieving. Yeah, they definitely can. And it's, you know, because they can hear and see us far easier than we can hear and see them, you know, it's so they're watching their family struggle. And, you know, that's why I said it's like, it's not that they're being punished, but in its own way, it is still really hard. Even though your emotions are turned down, you're seeing that, you know, this destruction in your family was, you know, connected to your passing. And right. that isn't even just for people who are responsible for their own passing. But in general, when we, you know, the loss of a child, for example, is devastating. Mm-hmm. Like it is the worst death that people will ever experience. And as a medium, I say that in working with, you know, I I work with people all the time and to lose a child is more painful than any other death because we just don't expect that to happen. And, you know, people who've lost children might go most of their life without even finding some healing. But once they start that, then, you know, even in the best, best of cases, it's just an adaption, Hmm. you know? So like that child is with them, that child is wanting them to heal, but that is, that's that kind of like long stuck.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of a really good friend of mine, she and her husband, they lost their son. He was a little bit older. He was I think 21 or so.
0: Um, I know how, yeah,
2: I know how devastating that was. But they insist, and I believe them, that he sends them signs.
0: Oh, I bet he does. Yeah. Because, you know, he's, I think that first of all, I think we're going through a psychic evolution. Hmm. You know, more and more people are having psychic experiences. Some of it is just because it's been acceptable for a while. You know, like I me, mean, my grandmother did all the things she did through the guise of selling worms and people liking her cooking. You hmm. know, I can be on your podcast and you know, have an office in the downtown of my community. So things have changed a lot. And that permission has allowed people to start recognizing the weird things that happen in their life. But with that in mind, it also makes it easier for the spirits to communicate because, you know, when we believe that it's possible, we make it more possible. You know, there's There's a, you know, we can actually, people can actually close themselves down. A lot of times people will experience that they lose somebody and they're really upset and they think that the spirit's mad at them somehow because, you know, everybody else is having dreams about that spirit. Even the lady they work with has seen their mother, but they haven't seen their mother. And why isn't their mother coming to them? And it's because we can harden our aura. Like we want that contact so much. It's so emotionally difficult for us that we want it so bad we're so afraid it won't happen that we're actually like putting out this shield of like don't happen to me don't happen to me Mm. you know and i've had one time i had did a, a seance and a young girl who had died came through and she came through to her cousin and her mother was sitting right next to me and her mom got upset at first and she's like, I don't understand why she's coming through to her and not me and said the same thing that, you know, she comes through to everybody else. And I'm like, she knew that she could get through to her cousin so that she could talk to you. But it was easier for her to get my attention standing by her cousin because her cousin wasn't putting up. big of a wall her cousin was missing her but not in the same way that that mother's pain had created that block around her so one of the things i tell people is if that's happening to you it's not because your loved one is mad at you it's because they can't get through to you so they're opportunistic they Mm -hmm. will you know i had a spirit come through at a large gallery i did and when I called on the woman and I was like, you know, you got this guy. He's got a yellow raincoat on. He says he's your friend. He died of cancer. She's like, no. Nope. I'm like, really? And I asked a few other people and I'm confused because he's standing there. And finally, her friend next to her was like, yeah, you do. Like she had had like psychic amnesia. This guy was one of her good friend's husband. And as soon as he was able to get her to understand who he was, his whole message was for his wife mm. he wasn't even there.
1: Mm. But he
0: knew that his her friend was so he used her to get the information to his wife, Hmm. you know, so people will spirits will try, you know, lots of different things, they are opportunistic, they want to get our attention. And like I said, some of them, and you Hmm. know, some of them aren't as good at communicating as others, just like some living people aren't as good as communicating.
2: Right. Now, I know that you mentioned some of these in the book, but I'm, I'm curious if you can share just a few ways that spirits try to communicate.
0: Mm-hmm. So music is a common one and a lot of people experience, you know, the song on the radio and they knew it was a message from their dad. That is true, but it's not because the spirit communicated with the DJ and made the DJ play the song for them. It's that the song came on the radio and the spirit being opportunistic was already in the car with them or sitting next to them and pushes their energy at the person at that time in order for it to make them to make that connection between them and the song. Okay? And then if you have that connection a lot, you might find that every time you turn that song on that you feel that they are instantly with you and that becomes kind of like, you know, I can use that with my dad, my dad loved Credence Clearwater Revival. And if I turn on any Credence song, it's almost instantaneous that he's now my Mm co-pilot. So one of the other ways that they do is dreams. A lot of people experience visitations in their dreams. And when this happens, it's not, you know, it's something different. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point your dream changes and I find that most people will realize at some point that the person they're talking to is dead like it will be this conscious like oh but you're dead you know Mm -hmm. like up until that point you were just communicating with them it seemed really normal until you have that aha moment where your brain becomes conscious and you know that's when you know and that's when you wake up too because you know you can't shake that dream yeah you know it wasn't just a casual dream it was something more They also communicate through our olfactory senses. So a lot of times people will smell something and it'll be like, oh, that smelled like my mother or that smelled like my first husband's, you know, cologne or whatever it is. And, that's because we don't question our sense of smell, you know, like we can smell something driving down the road and suddenly be transported to, you know, the back of our parents' station wagon and, you know, just by the sense of smell, we, that memory is brought back. So spirits use that one a lot. And so like dreaming in that olfactory sense, the smell are two of the big ones because they, we don't have to get out of our way. You know like there's not a barrier to first get through the other thing i tell people is that you're more likely to see a spirit superimposed on something that's there so people will see something out of the corner of their eye and either they turn and look and it's gone or they look back and oh there was a garbage bag there
1: Hmm.
0: and so they tell themselves like oh i didn't really see anything i just saw that garbage bag and it's like no it's easier for the spirit to stand in front of the garbage bag because It makes it so that your brain first says, yes, something is there. So then they don't have to get through two barriers. They just have to get through the barrier that you don't that you question that it's a dead person. Mm -hmm. But you aren't going to question that something's there because you're you actually visually saw something there. So they will often take advantage of those things instead of like the the spirit in the middle of the open field is less likely than the spirit standing by the tree you know just because most of them learn pretty quick what works and what doesn't computers
1: Mm.
0: you know phones like you know digital the digital reality of the spirit world is huge you know you're not going to have your grandparents who you know like i had an elderly couple that came for a sas today who they don't even know how to work their phone you know so they are not going to be the spirits that come back and mess with digital devices Because that's just something they're not comfortable with. But you and I who use a phone every day, who use a computer every day, we're going to be more comfortable manipulating a digital device. And the cool thing about like phones is that sometimes you can just put your hand above your phone and you turn your phone on.
1: Mm.
0: You know, have you ever had that happen before like just you run your hand across the top of it, it's not always but your energy might just be there and all of a sudden the phone acts like you touched it. And you know, so that makes it easier because it takes a lot of energy to physically do things, you know, for a spirit.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. My friend who lost her son, both she and her husband occasionally say that they get messages on social media uh, from their son. Things will show up that normally would not appear in their like news feeds or anything. Right.
0: My dad does that. My dad like will show up like a memory with a picture of him will pop up in the newsfeed and it's when everybody's been talking about him, and then all of a sudden he's like, there he is, you know, and one of the coolest things that ever happened though, I had a woman ask me at the end of a seance once, how the dead could get me to talk to their living. And I said that they had to get their living to contact me because it goes against my ethics to contact somebody about a spirit without knowing how they would even feel about that. So. A little while later, I had another seance and at the end, the woman wanted to tell me how she found out about me. And she had gotten a message on her answering machine on her phone that wasn't intended from her It was like a wrong number. And it was a woman talking to her friend about how she had been to see me hmm. and her experience with me. And then it gets weirder because a couple days later, she got another message on her phone. And it was for the woman that it had been intended for. So the woman had gotten the message it had also just dropped in this other lady's hmm. phone and then the other message did and both people had been to see me. Wow. So, you know, I was like, boy, the spirits were listening when I said you got to yeah. convince them to do it. They yeah. use digital device. I've also had a woman who her phone rang through one day and it it was her son-in-law on the other end of the phone talking to his girlfriend her phone rang and she ended up hearing her son-in-law who was cheating on her daughter talking to his girlfriend on the phone and you know they couldn't hear her because she's like hello hello but you know spirit was involved in that one Uh you know basically saying like you need to hear this information Uh and you know so there's a lot I think we're going to experience a lot more interaction with the spirit world as we go forward because of things like digital, you know, like, the internet is a, you know, in many ways has helped us to understand how we can have psychic communication. Hmm. Because we know that we communicate to any place in the world. Just by, you know, using this machine. But none of us most of us don't really know how that works. But we know that everybody believes it works and it seems to work. So that gives us like, it's not that far of a stretch to see that we can communicate with each other telepathically, or that we can communicate with spirits, whether they're of nature or of the dead.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that I've experienced smells and not just, I don't think of my family members. I, (laughs) in the house I live in, there are two smells that I will get every now and then one, cigarette smell And the other is this like old lady perfume. Yeah. It was interesting. I smelled the old lady perfume last night and I haven't smelled it for a long time. And I thought, oh, this is interesting.
0: Right. She probably knew that you were having this conversation and wanted to be part of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I'll share this. I'll make it quick. But I lived with my mother's parents when I grew up and my grandfather died relatively unexpectedly woke up in the middle of the night, the day before he'd stayed home sick. And my grandfather never stayed home sick. And in the middle of the night, he knew something was wrong. So they had to call the ambulance and he had a abdominal aneurysm Mm. and they had to fly him out of town to a larger town for the operation. And it was middle of winter in Ohio. And I was left home alone. I was a teenager and he didn't want me to drive. It's the last thing my grandfather ever said to me. He's like, nope, it's too dangerous for you to drive as they're taking him out <laughs> of the house. Right? right. So I'm home alone. I get the call that they're flying him to uh, Dayton, Ohio for the surgery. And at around, I don't know, six, six 30 in the morning, I just, I'm going to try to go back to sleep. And I went back to sleep and I had a dream. And it was that when I was a little kid, I would stand in the backyard waiting for my grandfather to come home. And he had this red Ford pickup truck. And in the dream, I was standing right there where I would used to stand, and I saw him walk up to his truck and he just looked at me and waved and he got into his truck and drove off. Yeah. And later I kind of pieced it together. That would have been approximately the time he died. died, And no one can ever tell me that that was not my grandfather saying goodbye.
0: It most spirit visitation happens in that time short after death Mm. that we would actually think of as like what would be the traditional wake yeah you know that three-day period and it has to do with spirit has a lot of energy that they can still use because Mm. spirit needs energy in order to communicate so the traditional ways they get that energy are through ley lines through mediums who are like a natural channel think of them like a you know electrical cable and when they die, they also can use that like the last of their vitality, if you will. And it's very common that they will visit lots of people Mm. in a very short amount of time, and that people will have these really, you know, profound moments of spirit communication in those first moments of crossing or those first few days of crossing. But yeah, the the visitation where the person is waving goodbye at some point is very common is a way of like saying like, see you later. And yeah, it's amazing how many people have those experiences that are at the time of death, you know, like it's, it's kind of, well, first of all, you know, Time and space is kind of a weird thing to think about, yeah, you know, right. we are in linear time when we are in a physical body, hmm. but when we're not in a physical body, time gets really, it can get really stretched, then right. it can get really compressed.
2: Right. Yeah. You, you, you refer to it as being wobbly. <laughs> in yeah. <the> book. <laughs>
0: yeah it's very, it is very wobbly. And
2: yeah. yeah. So it makes me curious. I have no idea if you know the answer to this question, but it makes me wonder if the point of having a wake, because the wake used to be like traditionally like three days or so. Yeah. If that wasn't maybe the point of it originally.
0: It, It really, I think was because it was a time I've been like, I know people who've had traditional wakes. I've been, you know like in the state of vermont we have one crematorium that you can bring your own bodies to you have to have a medical professional sign off but if you have a home death you don't have to have an undertaker involved at all i've been involved with people who have had you know, like we put somebody on dry ice we've you know like all of these different things and it was a time where people could they still saw that the spirit of their dead was amongst them and you traditionally somebody would keep watch the entire three days and you were keeping watch over the body you know like basically seeing it as kind of like a protective thing as that spirit maybe was doing its you know roundabouts and you know visitations people experience spirit communicate or spirit experiences a lot more during the time leading up to death too. So, you know, a lot of times when people have a long death, they will start talking about their loved ones being there with them because they really are. They're able to see their spirits. And often people who work like as death doulas or in hospice or people who are caring for their, you know, loved ones at the end of life will have more experiences with spirit during that time. Because again, just like, you know, a dead, a person who's dead is using that last of their vitality. When a person is dying, they are slipping more into the spirit world. And so it's like, almost like they're becoming that, that gateway, you know, mm. that allows, you know, the veil to be thin around them because mm. they're getting ready to depart.
2: Mm. Okay. Is it because there are, obviously there are different kinds of deaths. And because of modern medicine, I think that the death process can be stretched out quite a bit now, which may not be the best thing. I don't think. I don't think so. Uh, Because you you wrote that sometimes if someone who's traumatized or who's caused great harm to others, they may experience like confusion upon the time of death. And you, you say they can be stuck in some kind of limbo But I was also kind of curious if people in these long drawn out periods, if they can also get kind of stuck where they're not quite dead yet, the body's not quite dead, but Mm -hmm. the spirit may be.
0: Yeah, this happens a lot, particularly with people who have dementia and Alzheimer's and it makes it harder. Like they have a harder time dying. Mm because they're already kind of disconnected from their physical self or their conscious self. And I think that, yeah, definitely when, what happens a lot, if somebody has like this really long drawn out death, dementia, Alzheimer's aside, let's say that they are heavily medicated because of the pain they're in or something like that. They often talk about being beside their body. Mm -hmm. So when they're, they're in the same room most of the time as their body, but they're not necessarily in the body. They're able to observe a little bit more. And they talk about this a lot. And some people, I think they also, some people jump ship. So some, there's some people who like get in an accident and they were outside of their body before they actually died. You know, like they, maybe they jumped out of their body as soon as impact happened. Like, I don't have to stay in my suffering body that's dying. They watch themselves, you know, that waiting for the ambulance. They watch themselves being taken to the hospital. They watch their family, they're in the room. So they still have a heartbeat. They're still technically alive, but they're, you know, lightly tethered to their body is the extent right. of what it is. And this right. is actually, you know, a lot of times people who are like stuck though, it's different. They, they might, they're experiencing a lot of confusion. You know, sometimes it's like a loop kind of setting. I was just talking to a woman about that today because her mom has had dementia for 11 years oh. and really hard and talking about some of the techniques I have in the book for helping people to, you know, to disconnect. But the problem with things like dementia and Alzheimer's is that we forget how bad it was the day before. Right. So we are often stuck in that that loop. And one of the things I suggested, and I didn't write about this in the book, but is that to telepathically communicate, Mm. like purposely imagine that you're sending your thought into their mind and that you're sending your thought to their higher self and start your communication there. You know, even if you're just taking care of that person every day, you're just saying like, your body is broken. Mm. You need to move on. And, you know, somebody is waiting for you you know, like helping them. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but you know, we don't all die easy.
2: Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The question was kind of personal for me because my mom, she died pretty young. She was only 69, but she developed, I guess they call it terminal dementia. Mm -hmm. And she had cancer and I sat with her in the hospice for almost a month waiting and she was on medication, but she was in coma the entire time she went into mm-hmm. coma the moment they got her there and one of the hospice nurses said that the dosage that they gave her wasn't keeping her in the coma um right. they said that other people would get up and walk around and so on and so forth and i just had the distinct impression that she was lost somehow and my brother had a dream of my dad my dad had died just a couple months before mm-hmm. And he had the dream of my dad sitting on a bench in a shopping mall. My mom loves shopping malls. And he just knew in the dream that my dad was just waiting for, yeah. he was just waiting for. Her.
0: Well, that came up today because actually the same woman that I was saying, she had, was talking to her dad who died and she was like, dad, can't you, you know, help her along? And he said, she's not done yet. Yeah. yeah. You know, like some people, it just takes them a while, you know, and sometimes usually it's not that long but somebody will come and get them but they have to be you know your dad might have been showing up to get your mom and you know it's like if she's shopping i'm not done shopping yet go back to the bench you know like you can wait a little bit longer i'm still processing you know and it's hard on families when there's you know i would tell people like both deaths have something that they give and something that they take a short death is not a lot of time to Say your goodbyes. Right. But it's abrupt and you can start the healing process. Yeah. Yeah. The long death is one that develops and takes time and gives you plenty of time to talk about things. But it usually leaves the family members at some point just wishing that their family member would die.
1: Right.
0: And then right. once that family member dies inevitably they feel guilty that they wish mm. their family member would die
1: right
0: you know like yeah. most people yeah. <laughs> most people yeah. have some form of guilt and spirits always come through and are like don't feel guilty about right. that right. you know right. but we can't help it it's our human nature to be like oh my god i can't believe i was frustrated with them it's like well you weren't frustrated with them because right. you didn't love them you're frustrated because you were working a full-time job raising your kids and having to take care of a person who was dying and having to see that person you love dying and not even be able to process your own emotions because it wasn't time for it yet.
2: Right. Right. Well, one of the things you wrote about in the book, which also I think really applied to my mom is because at first I was there, I was staying in the hospice room Mm -hmm. and eventually one of the nurses said, you know, some people, they just want to die alone. They yes. just want to die in private. So I started going back to the hotel at night and yep. the night my mom died, I had just left. And I think that, you know, maybe I, and I knew, I knew right before I left that that was her night that she was going yeah. to pass, but you know, I wanted to give her that respect and that honor. Yeah. You know,
0: And it's true. There's so many times where like people had just stepped out of the room and they feel, or they didn't quite make it there. My grandmother was the most important person in my young life you know she died 20 minutes before we got to the hospital and i remember i was only 12 and i was so mad at my uncle i blamed it all on him because you know we had to pick him up because he didn't want to go to the hospital alone which rightfully so but you know 12 year old i was just mad and it took me a long time to realize that my grandmother wouldn't have died if we would have gotten there yeah. 20 minutes earlier that she would have held on because she wasn't going to die in front of you know uh she would have you know like struggled to stay a little bit longer for the people that she loved and you know but it's such a, a feeling of like you feel like you deserted the person sometimes right. you know yeah. some people have a lot of again mixed feelings about it and right. good for you know that's the wonderful thing about hospice and like death doulas is we're starting to be re-educated about death yeah. starting to yeah. make it more normal so that we realize that not everybody does want the same thing out of their death right. and
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah my best friend is studying to be a death doula oh um, nice. right now yeah and you're an unofficial one right or the official unofficial. I'm an unofficial, one? No. I'm an
0: unofficial yeah. one but I teach my friend Amory Keppel who has a book coming out in September that's called Death nesting she's actually. Mm. The book was self-published inner traditions is publishing her book again. She teaches a like 13 week course multiple times a year. And I'm usually the last week, you know, that Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, what death is like these doulas who've been in training, get to talk about it through the perspective of a medium of spirit communication. Mm -hmm. Cause my sister and I were doing, you know, doula work before there was a, you know, we had, a, there was a name for it. And mm-hmm. we, I actually thought at one point that I was going to have to write a book about it. This was before I even wrote my own book, first book. It was because I really felt so passionately that we needed to, you know, help people to remember how to have a good death Yeah. and how to mourn properly,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, because we also, you know, we've brought death down to two weeks of, casseroles awake in a funeral and okay, that's good. Everybody move on and nobody's ready to move on. Right. You know, we used to have like, you know, you were black or you wore an armband. There was some physical outward sign to people that you were in mourning. And that also meant that there was something that could be taken off or changed when that time was over for you, because that's Mm -hmm. the other thing is like, people don't know how to approach each other about death. So if you've had a tragic death, I have no idea how long you need to mourn for. I don't know when it's okay for me to talk to you again. I don't know if you want me to talk to you about your loss or not, you know, because we don't have any rules of engagement around death anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's all private and it's all, you know, separate in so many ways. And, you know, we've gone from the three-day wake to three-hour visitation, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, three-hour visitation. In a place that nobody's comfortable in, right? You know, nobody is comfortable in, you know, and I'm not I think that the job that people who are undertakers do is an amazing thing that they do. And I've met a lot of fantastic ones. It's also a dying business, no pun intended. But because nobody wants to go into that business Hmm. and that's another reason why we need to start educating ourselves about death because we're going to need to have more people who know how to take care of people in other ways you know because it's 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 changing you know not everybody wants to have their funeral in you know held in a church or a funeral parlor you know some people want to be scattered to the wind or made into you know a glass ornament or planted under a tree yeah. and yeah. green burials i mean there's so many really amazing things that are happening in death
2: yeah 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 that's me i want the green burial my dad wanted to be shot out of a howitzer
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was career army
0: <laughs> nothing nothing casual
2: <laughs> yeah But, you know, it's, I know we're starting to run out of time here, but you mentioned something in the book that I was really interested in, and it's this idea of practicing for death. Mm -hmm. Because the the, the, the quote here is practicing for death is no different from doing Lamaze to prepare for birth. And and there is a connection with birth and death, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know this. I always heard doula originally as just death doula. But I didn't realize that it was for the midwife. Yeah. 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 And so I was curious, how can we practice for death?
0: Meditation is a great way, Mm -hmm. particularly meditation. That's guided meditation that, you know, takes you on a journey, you know, because then we start expanding the idea or exploring the idea of our soul traveling. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. One of the things that my sister did with my dad, because he stayed with her in the last part of his life and she would do journey work with him where she would get him to basically step outside of his body. And sometimes she would have him to imagine that he was in a rock that was only five feet away from him and to put his whole consciousness into that rock, you know, and, you know, she would do all these different journeys. And when he died, she was doing it. So that what happens a lot when people struggle to die is that They have that knee-jerk reaction kind of the same one we have when we're falling asleep and we realize we're falling asleep and our body does the oh i'm awake okay people do that when they're dying like Mm. they're starting to drift off their body they feel the separation and they pull themselves back into it you know Mm. like that moment that maybe they could have slipped off there they don't because of fear because they are, you know, have some break still engaged. But when we practice journey work, we begin to understand that. Like my grandfather was having out-of-body experiences. He had cancer. And he was having out-of-body experiences and he was flying. My grandfather drove a, tra- a town truck and he did it for like 40 years. He took care of the town. And so he was flying around his truck route really. And, you know, when I found out about this, my aunt and her husband were kind of laughing about it as a sign that like, yeah, I don't know that he was losing his mind. And I immediately was like, no, you know, this is an out-of-body experience. I had had a pretty extreme of out-of-body experience when I had my daughter. So I was able to talk to my grandfather about it and be like, look, this experience that you're having is your spirit traveling to these roads that you love saying your goodbye. And I was like, and for me, that's, When I had my first real out of body experience, you know, it was this realization that my body and my soul really weren't the same. I had that moment of clarity. So when we do things like practice journey work in which we imagine ourselves leaving our body. You know we get more comfortable with the idea that our soul is separate and then just like in lamas maybe when you're dying that's where the doula is the one that's reminding you just remember that you can drift off from your body or even doing a guided meditation with you when you're dying like they're actually doing a lot of work with psilocybin
1: mm, yeah. and
0: people who have like PTSD around cancer who are actively dying, you know, like they're doing some work where they are trying to help people, first of all, experience that body listening feeling and and using it as a way to take away some of the fear that people have of death. So you don't have to use a psychotropic drug to do that. That's definitely easier for a rigid mind, but also harder and it's a controlled substance and how are you going to get it? And there's very few States that are doing anything with that, but journey work is safe and easy. And you can even start doing journey work by YouTube videos, you know, just find a voice that you enjoy listening to and, you know, practice and Mm. practice. And at first people, you know, some people are immediately will have an experience. Some people will just feel relaxed. Some people might see colors but you know i've done this enough with people that you know after a while even if they were the person who was only just you know feeling relaxed at some point they're going to experience something it's going to happen it just might take them a little while because they're a little more stuck
1: you know
0: that's why you just keep doing it and keep doing it and don't judge yourself and just go and even if it's just relaxing and you know that's one of the ways that we can and we can like we can actually think about the leaving of our body that's probably the most important thing that we can do yeah
2: It makes me think that you know we have Lama's classes there ought to be dying classes
0: well i think that you know there's definitely because i am you know involved in death in many ways and i get to like i've taken part in a lot of different experiences of death i think that we're moving in that direction mm-hmm. um you know because we are We are needing to educate ourselves. The other problem that we're having is like, we're on the verge of just an epidemic of people dying because, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many more older people than there are younger people. We don't have enough nursing homes. We don't have enough nursing staff. We have to have some kind of education on home death care because it's going to be needed, you know? Like this isn't something that's like even 20 years away, this is God, 10 years away if we're lucky, this is probably already happening. You know, we see this, that our systems are unable to keep up and there's something beautiful about doing it yourself. And I have been involved personally in multiple deaths, being there when somebody was actively dying, taking care of bodies, helping families with that process of crossing over. I don't offer it as a service. It's just something that every now and then it's like, I know that I have to go do this one, but I do really share as much information as I can, you know, with people who want to bring that in, you know, like who want to, when we touch our dad and care for our dad we also begin our healing process because we are giving our last honor to that person that we love and i think that the people who work in the funeral industry are putting as much care and kindness into the work they're doing but there's a difference between a nurse tending you and your loved one tending you you know there's that feeling of true relationship that's there And when my grandmother died, when I was a kid, I remember my mom made me kiss her, you know, in the casket. And she did because she said that I needed to feel her to really know that she wasn't in her body. Like I had to feel that the body felt different, that the body felt empty, that that's not, you know, your grandmother in that casket that's going to be buried in the ground. That's just a body that held your grandmother.
2: Right. Yeah. I liked in your book, your description of anointing your father's body. Yeah. And it was so powerful, I think. And I was just thinking that with my grandfather, for example, I remember that I was asked to be one of the pallbearers and I didn't want to do it. And at the time I'm like, no, I'm not going to carry him to his grave. But And, you know, now this is, you know, me many, many years later thinking it's like, but if I had that opportunity to give that kind of care, I think I would have more, you know, been open to that.
0: Um, Right. Right. Because that would have been, you know, I, I remember I was very like, I was upset at my grandmother's funeral that it was so sterile and that they put so much makeup on her because my grandmother didn't really wear makeup. And you know, that they didn't do her hair the way that she liked to do her hair. And I could have done her hair because I knew how to do her hair. I had done her hair. I got to do my friend Barbara's hair. I got to do her makeup. I got to, you know, and I was the only person there who knew how to use a curling iron. So the other people were watching me. I'm like, I can't believe I'm giving you guys hair curling tutorial on a dead person, you know? But my friend Barbara would have loved that, you know? She would have, you know, or she did love that because that she wanted to look good even in death, you know, she had made a real point of knowing exactly what she wanted to be buried in. And that's something that we can do too. So again, Anne Marie Keppel, you're gonna wanna check her out when she comes through. She does a lot of like that, helping people to say like, how do you prepare for your death? You know, like, how do you, you know, what kind of music do you want at your funeral? What kind, like we prepare so much for our weddings, my friend Brigia, who I wrote about her name is Barbara, that's what I was talking about, but she's she prefers Brigia and she never got married and she was like fifty something years old and so she used to call it she said instead of a big fat Greek wedding, it was her big fat druid funeral and she planned it in detail and it was mm. a beautiful thing
2: yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm Gen X at heart, so I've been planning my funeral mixtape for many, many years. <laughs> there you go,
0: there you go. My sister said that she told me she had like 24 hours of music for her funeral. I'm like, okay, so I just yeah. got to put it in, but yes, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah, mine won't be 24 hours, but you know, it'll be a good mixtape there. So I have one final question before I get to the what's coming up next. And I I don't know if you can answer this question, but I feel kind of compelled to ask it. With all the experience you have and the communications that you've had, is there a common message that those who have crossed over may have for the rest of us?
0: I would say that we're not alone.
1: Mm.
0: You know, like that's probably... The biggest message that they're trying to get through all the time is that we're not alone that we you know like and i really use that a lot because like i talk about that when i get to do difficult things i know that it might look like it's just me standing up there by myself but i know i got a whole posse behind me that are you know backing me up they're all cheering me on i'm not actually standing there alone and that would be probably the number one message that they you know is that they're not alone because it's really frustrating for them because it's kind of like a police mirror you know they can see us and hear us and you know living around the other side of that mirror and they might have an idea that somebody's on the other side but they can't really hear them and they can't really see them and then the medium is that cop that goes Mm -hmm. between the rooms but so you know they would have us know that you know that they are there and I would have people know to stop using the words maybe kind of and think so when they talk about their experiences. Because when we say, I saw something out of my corner of my eye and I think it might've been my grandmother. I'm like, okay, well, can you say that again? But not use the word think. And then like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was my grandmother and I'm like, well, how does that feel? And they're like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was my grandmother. So when we say it in the affirmative, we feel it. And also, why would you randomly just suddenly be like, oh, God, that's probably my dead grandmother, you know, (laughs) like unless it's your dead grandmother, you know, so it's like, stop doubting. Yeah, yeah. Very
2: good. Very good. So again, I know we're out of time, but what do you have coming up?
0: I am teaching. So I've had two books come out in one year. Path of Elemental Witchcraft came out last May. And Spirit Speaker came out in April, so I'm kind of in the middle of both. So I am teaching on May 20th, I am teaching two workshops on water magic. I also have a elemental magic retreat this summer in July, and those things can be found on my website under events. I am currently working on a couple of different books, but to be quite honest, I have been out straight with podcasts, and I just got back from two weeks in Ireland, and then I'm heading out on Monday to go to Gaia, so Mm. I've i have a lot of things that are happening but i'm also moving really slowly because i actually open i have a wellness center the pearl which is sally crow psychic artisans guild and educational center which is in st johnsbury vermont and i have other healers and stuff that are i've trained or people who are connected to me that are there and so i have a lot of like events that are happening in my local area that i'm also like all of this happened at once like my new space, my, my book's coming out. So I've just been right now, I'm just puttering along, but I'm always (laughs) doing something. So people can check that out. And I have lots of services. I see clients about 20 hours a week. So for either psychic divination, healing, or spirit communication, and that's either by zoom or in person, if they make, I say, if they make the trip, because I've literally had people drive, up from new jersey just for an appointment and then turn around and go home wow. i was like i, I do zoom and um, what
2: what what's your webpage your so website? my
0: webpage is sallycrow.com s a l i c r o w.com so sallycrow.com and you can find all of my information there and yeah i i'm pretty pretty prolific blogger too so there's usually okay. lots of you know stuff that people can read
2: Okay, wonderful. Well, Sally Crowe, thank you so much for your time and for this conversation. I really appreciated it and got quite a bit out of it. And thank you for the work. We always need healers, I think.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been an enjoyable podcast for sure.
2: Okay, well, wonderful. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 89 of Verbal Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you like what I do here on Rebel Spirit Radio and would like to support my work and please support my work, (laughs) please consider becoming a patron. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. Of course, if you'd prefer to make a one-time donation via PayPal, you can still do so. I will be tremendously, incredibly grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help with the podcast is to share it with friends, family, co-workers, anyone that you think will enjoy it. And please share it on social media too. Help me grow my audience. That really is one of the best ways that you can help and support the podcast. So, you know, if you feel moved by the rebel spirit and you know that I hope that you do, then please help me spread the good news. Also, if you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts, and please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, make sure you smash that thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be at peace, may
1: you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.